Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have my friend from the U of A. I call him a friend. I very rarely call a wildcat a friend, but I consider Eric a friend. <laughs> Eric Forrest on the podcast. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How about you, Jay? Good. I say that with a big smile on my face, and most people that know me know that I'm I, I love to give U of A Wildcat the hard time, but I'm I'm really fairly harmless with it. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the closer that the big game gets, the the more uh, the more feisty I do get, though. Yeah, I'll actually be end up I'll end up moving up to uh, ASU Sun Devil Country here at the end of the year, so it'll be oh interesting goodness. for me. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's like. Uh, that's like throwing a sheep to the wolves, huh? Yeah, maybe. I can defend <laughs> myself, though. <laughs> are you um, are you coming up for a specific reason? Do you have a different schooling or or job or what? What do you got going on? Well, I, I graduate this December, and then my girlfriend she already has a a solid career with Boeing going right now over in Mesa, so I'll be okay. moving up there because. I'm a law, I'm criminal justice degree, so I can pretty much find work anywhere. Yeah. So I'll I'll have to I'll be forced to learn the units up there a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I think it'll create a new challenge for you and give you some new country to to look over. It's always fun to kind of stuff exciting news. Um, yeah. The the last time we talked, uh, we we. I've had you on the podcast several times. We've had some great conversations. And I put it out there to the Instagram followers. Um, you know, I told them I was going to have you on the podcast. We've got a handful of some great questions here. Uh, but before we get into that, I kind of want to go over, like last year, if I remember right, the archery season, you shot another great buck with your bow. Um, and one start with that and then dive into some of the stuff with your summer two-star scouting and kind of what's been going on with you uh, since you harvested that buck. Okay. So tell, for the listeners that maybe didn't hear the last episode, um, you've had real good success on those archery hunts uh, in, I believe, December and January. Talk about the last couple of years. Um, just kind of bring everybody up to speed with your your success shooting these archery bucks. So um, last year when I was scouting for a buddy's uh, rifle hunt, I had come across this tank that I had known about, um, and I had glassed up all sorts of deer going to it, but the country I was looking at for the rifle hunt, which would have been spot and stock country, had zero deer. I think I saw one deer, so I said, hey, there's something something here. So... I decided to look into that tank a little bit more, knowing my opportunity would be higher um, sitting that tank versus um, spot and stock because the buck comes in, especially with the bow, um, on a tank. You, it's pretty much a, a done deal unless he jumps the string super hard or you just mess up the shot. So I looked into that tank and um, sat it, uh, considering it was December, it was my last season to hunt, and um, I knew my opportunity to, to fill my tag would be pretty high on that tank. And I also knew where that tank was located, um, being that it, it was one that wasn't um, didn't have a road to it. Um, 
it was kind of bordered with some private property and then some national forest that uh, doesn't really get touched much. I knew the, the probability for a, a big buck to come into that tank, um, especially in December when they're moving a little bit more, uh, would have been pretty high. And that's what ended up happening is I had that. I sat probably for a week and a half, maybe two weeks. I can't, can't remember. I got rained on and snowed on a lot. Um, there was a week there where I didn't have a single deer come in. Um, and then finally that, that, that big four by came in and, uh, it was a done deal. So you literally sat there for a week and didn't have any deer came, come in and you continued to sit there and it ultimately paid off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm stubborn. Uh, I got a lot of crap from a lot of people, um, <laughs> saying I was wasting my time, but I don't, I'm not a fan of, um, of stand, uh, something I call stand jumping. It's when I notice when, um, Sometimes people will sit a place and something doesn't come in one day and uh, they jump to another spot and nothing comes in there and they jump to another spot. Meanwhile, if they sat the one spot the entire time, whatever bucks are using that water will eventually come in. Um, it's just you gotta you got to play the, uh, play the days. Um, if a buck comes in, water's about every three days, then uh, you better be sitting there that third day. Um, and if you want a chance at them. So you just stuck with it, and then you shot that big buck, um, and that was in December, is that right? Yes, sir. So you filled your 2017 archery tag, uh, and then you went hunting in January. Did you shoot a buck with your bow in January as well? And, and did that um, allow you then... Uh, did you put in then for the rifle hunts, or, or what's your status with your current tag situation? So I was pretty dumb in January. I had hung a camera up on the tank after I shot that buck just to see, you know, get an inventory of what else was coming in. And I went and changed gears and went spot and stock because that's something I really love to do with a bow. And there's this one buck... Um, that I've seen every single year. I've I shot at him once, and he did the old whip around, and I ended up catching his rack. Ended up catching my arrow and breaking my arrow. Um, and then my dad missed him once, and I found that buck in January. Went on a, a hell hike of a stalk to get up on him. It's on my Instagram, I think, um, where you can hear the shot. This buck and is a big, a big three by with big thirds, kind of tight rack, but super old buck, um, really cool buck. I ended up missing him in January, and then spot stalking a bit before I had to start school, um, and then I ended up checking that camera after the hunt, <laughs> and uh, another four by was coming in that I would put at about the one twenty five mark. Oh my god! And yeah, and he, come in, he was coming in in a, a, a really killable spot um, on the tank. That I, I probably would have killed him if he if I'd have been sitting, honestly. Um, so I was kind of kicking myself in the butt about that. So I said, with the January hunt coming to an end and um, not feeling my tag, I decided I'm going to have to to really try to find this buck come come the um, the summer hunt in August and um, September with a bow. And so I, I put in a lot of work scouting. Um, 
when I could from school during my break and such and on the weekends and I ended up finding that buck this summer, but he had regressed all the way to a three by four and he was only about 105 inches. And oh. yeah. And there was a, there was a bunch of bucks coming in that were around that mark. Um, I'd say about half a dozen. And, and, uh, I, I talked my buddy, uh, Tristan into, into getting a tag too. And he, so we were both sitting in that tank and I, I sat it probably, I think three days maybe. Um, the first day we got rained on, we decided to go the next day to spot and stock since it was stormy and got on another buck that we had been watching for a while. It was a stud of a uh, five by three. And um, he did the old vanishing act when you're, <laughs> when you're going in blind on a spot and stock and it's like a, a two-mile jaunt. Um, he wasn't there by the time we got there, but anyways, um, the, the next weekend I sat that tank and I had that, the one buck I ended up shooting come in right at probably 15 yards, I would guess. Um, I didn't need to range, range him at all. That's how close he was. So he let me draw back and I thought I'm going to, I'm going to decide if I want to shoot this buck when I'm drawn back on him, if he lets me draw back. And stupidly, you, you he let me draw back. <laughs> you know what always happens in that situation, right? Yeah, I learned that. I learned <laughs> that. I, I should have I known that with my bear hunt last year, too, because I did the same thing. Um, <laughs> but I was back, and I, I, was, I was all the way back, um, and I was thinking, you know, should I shoot him? Should I not? I'm like, he's, he's, he's a decent buck. And I thought, you know, I would, I would be upset if it came to December and I thought back to me being at full draw on this buck broadside at 15 yards. Um, you know, a bird in the hands were two in the bush, so I decided I'm going to let it rip and ended up killing that buck right there. Um, he, was a, he was a very unique buck, and I'm glad I took him because there's no other buck like him hanging around. So he's one of a kind. I'm looking at the Instagram picture. It looks like um, kind of between his, G3 in his main beam on his right side. He's all kind of bulged out. He's all thick there. Um, yeah, yeah. Looks, I call him. He looks him... like an old buck. Is he an old buck or? Oh, uh, he was. He was young, actually. Unfo really? Unfortunately, he. Yeah, when he stepped out, he looked like. He he looked like he was kind of up there. It was a little upsetting. Um, discovering he was. Well, his body looked young. I should say that his teeth didn't look he's kind of a confusing deer his teeth didn't his look like he was super old, young though. yeah he could have been older than i thought i have to i have to pull him out of the freezer and take another look his teeth are i'll post pictures of his teeth later they don't look like he's super young um so in other words but yeah, you I, shot another deer in august so you got one in december then you filled your tag in august so then that rules you out for the uh rifle hunt yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so now but, Tristan's um, in the driver's seat. Well, see, so Tristan, um, the next week, and I was like, hey, let's go out, because there's all those other big bucks still coming in. And uh, and we sat, and it got super hot. Um, had a quota Monday come in, some cool things, some does. I had a doe come in and actually give, try to give birth in the middle of the tank. It was really? pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, she walked out in the middle of the tank and, and laid down in the water. 
And he's like, oh, that's so cool. I'm like, that's very unusual. I'm like, there's something, something's, something's weird. It's not that hot for the girl to get into the water and bathe. And sure as heck, she stood up and she had turned around. You could see, um, see a fawn trying to make its way out. Um, she eventually went up back over the dike, so I'm sure she gave birth um, on the backside. But later that day, um, we had one of the bucks walk in and uh, told Tristan to get ready. And he got ready, and as he drew back, one of the bigger bucks stepped out. And um, he was back. I have, the, I have a video of it on my phone. He was back on this buck for, I can't remember what, we, we looked at the times in the video, um, the segment of time, and he was back for over a minute on this deer. And I couldn't believe that he, he, he was able to still be accurate after holding back that long. Because the, the buck was behind another buck, and he was waiting for a, a clean shot. Because it, it was just too close to where if he shot in the, in the smaller buck that was in front of him, whipped his head up, he would have hit that buck in the head or in the neck or something. So I was I was pretty proud of him. He showed a lot of discipline, and uh, Good. that buck was that buck was uh we never put a tape on him, but he was a solid three by, probably probably in the nineties maybe. Nice. So he filled his tag too. Yep, he filled his tag. Him. So we didn't communicate well when it, when the draws came when we were putting in. So we ended up all putting in for the the third hunt that uh, is a two weekend long hunt. Yep. And, uh, and so we're like, all right, one of us needs to hopefully kill here soon on this archery hunt. That way we can take the number of tags down a bit. And uh, fortunately both of us killed. So it's, it's it, Savannah's in the hot seat right now. And I just got word from my buddy that he had, he found another drop tine buck with the dropper on the same side as the one she shot last year. So, <laughs> if she kills another drop tine buck, <laughs> I don't, I, I won't know what to say. That's your girlfriend, right? That's Tristan's girlfriend, Savannah. Tristan's yeah. girlfriend. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She because she shot a drop tine buck last year. Yeah. Yep. So she's so she's got you and Tristan. So she's really in the driver's seat. Yeah, yeah. She's whipping <laughs> our butts. Um, awesome stuff. So that hasn't. You've been busy with school, working two jobs, um, busy as can be. Um, but you've still been scouting. You've still been out looking around. Uh, you found some great bucks. I'm looking on your Instagram page. Um, you had mentioned something uh, when we were talking before the podcast started that. You had kind of had to figure out a little different way to scout. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, in order to graduate this semester, sort of on time, I had to take 24 credit hours, which is um, eight classes. And I needed, because I'm double major, I need to do two internships, which is um, you have to do at least 135 hours per internship for it to count. Um, and then to pay for driving back and forth with internships in school, I have to work two part-time jobs. So I get a little tight on time. So I, I knew that I, I try to be as much of a forward thinker as I can when it comes to hunting and, and life in general. Um, 
so I knew that I wouldn't be able to scout every weekend, every week, like I, I usually I used to be able to. So I decided that I'm going to round up all my cameras um, before the year, and around June when they when the deer dropped and they're just starting to grow, I'm going to get all my cameras out. And I think between Tris and I, we had about 25 cameras, which is to some that might be a lot to others, um, especially some guides that's like a drop in the bucket. Um, but I focused on just doing two weekends, just hitting it hard and getting out as many cameras as I could um, in those two weekends and putting 32 gig cards in them and full batteries and leaving them for until just right before the rifle hunts after right when they're about to um to start shedding their velvet so hopefully what the thought was is the cameras take the pictures all the way till then um when i check the bucks that are hard horned and still in the area are likely to, to be there in october and november and fortunately when i i i'm still in the process of rounding up cameras but um all the cameras I've picked up so far have been taking pictures all the way till the day I went to go pick them up, and which is nice, but at the same time, it took like three to four hours to go through pictures because I had just under 50,000 pictures to go through um, just for, I don't know, I think it was like four or five cameras I pulled. Um, so, yeah, it was nice because those cameras were kind of doing the scouting for me while I was busy with uh, school and work. So a couple questions. What kind of cameras do you use? Are they all the same kind? So that's a good question. I've been, I'm a camera geek, and I like to, I, I absolutely hate when I go to a spot, and especially if it's far back and I leave it for a while, and the camera filled the card in like two days. Um, so I've I found that Bushnell Bushnell's pretty good on battery life, taking good pictures um, and just overall lasting for a while. I've, I've gotten more towards Browning cameras because I've discovered that they can accept cards higher than 32 gigabyte, and the batteries in those last a, a long, long time. Um, but they're a little bit more expensive, so I kind of I I kind of use those Bushnells more. I've been using on Amazon, Bushnell sells a uh, camera model called Bandit, and I've been playing around with those because I picked them up for like 50 bucks each because um, the price fluctuates on them a lot. Um, so that's kind of what I found. Bushnell and Browning are the best, best camera uh, companies that I've used so far. Okay, let's talk a little bit about, you say that mostly you use 32 gig cards um, yeah. on your camera settings on these cameras. So, you know, usually you would be checking them quite a bit more than you have this year with this all this work and, and school yeah. and everything you got going. Um, how many photos, when, you, when you've been rounding up your cameras, like are you at like 5,000 photos? How many photos are, are these 32 gig cards holding? Um, Roughly. It, yeah, it kind of varies from camera to camera. Um, normally, like, if it's an old salt spot, like a place where the deer are kind of congregating a bit, 
um, I will put it, I'll put the settings on for two pictures at whatever the medium um, megapixel quality is, uh, and then I'll do like a one minute delay. Uh, if it's a if it's a spring, I will do you know the same thing, but but I'll I'll take the delay down to about thirty seconds or so because the deer might be moving in and out quicker on the water. For for most of these cameras, I was getting a range from just under twenty five thousand to um, thirty two thousand on a thirty two gigabyte card on those Bushnells. Twenty five thousand um, to thirty two thousand yeah. pictures per card. Yeah, set at eight oh megapixels. What goodness. I found, what I found is that a lot of these cameras they boost they boast these um, high megapixel rates, but as far as the actual camera works when you say it, it's a it goes to like 12 megapixel I, I don't know if you guys have ever messed around with the cameras but if you choose the lowest setting and the highest setting there's not a whole in most cameras there's not a whole lot of difference because in the, the software internally the photo? yeah the quality of the photo there's not much of a difference because in the actual camera software itself it's it's doing something that I've researched called interpolating the pixels. So, like, it's digitally making the picture better, but when you look at it, you know, the human eye, there's not much of a difference in quality. So I found that using those lower megapixel settings, um, camera still looks, the pictures still look as good, but you're not having as big a file size, and that saves battery life and on your camera and then space in your SD card. That's a very good tip, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in the stage of, you know, through the summer and up until now, you're not necessarily trying to capture the, the world's most crisp image. You're, in essence, trying no. to have as, lo as longevity as possible and make sure that if any good buck comes in, at least you get an image that you know that buck's there rather than yeah. a month into it or two months into it your, your card's filling and you miss a big buck. So you'd rather have yeah. a lesser quality photo but at least be able to go, that's a big buck, and know that, hey, your cameras are still soaking and still working. Exactly. Yeah, I looked at, at this season just, you know, like I said, throwing all those cameras out and just leaving them from June till end of October, November as just inventory gatherers just to see what's, what's out there. And I... I, I use them as a tool, so when I go through the pictures and I see, you know, a good buck, on one camera I know, hey, that buck was over there this many times. I should, go, maybe for the rifle hunts when I want to go scout with the glass, I should go focus in that area. Right. That's how okay. I use them. Um, let's talk a little bit about these 25,000 photos. So when you go to collect your camera, do you pull the camera or do you just go swap the card? And a further question is, do you sit there with your iPad or your phone or whatever you check and you check them right there? Or do you find it faster just to swap card and, and bring everything back home as much as you want to check it and then just check them on your computer? How, how do you go about that? So, that's a good question. Um, scouting leading up to the August hunt, I was just, I have a little adapter for my phone that the SD card um, I can put into. And I would check it on the spot and then download the pictures onto my phone. 
and put the card back in the camera and let it run. But for but these you would kinds just of sense, download, you would probably just scroll, scroll through them on your phone and yeah. select the ones you want to download and then delete the rest and then put the card back in? Um, that that okay. usually takes uh, quite a while. So normally I'll, I'll put it in and I'll scroll through real quick and just get an idea, oh, that buck's coming in, oh, this buck's coming in. This spot looks like it's good. I'll I'll download the pictures onto my phone. Um, I'll just move them from the card onto my phone and then stick the card back in the camera and move on. Okay. But with with uh, these recent cameras, I was just talking about pulling um, because I the rifle hunts were coming up and I didn't. There there were, it was, it's a jaunt to get some of these cameras. I figured that's the last time I'm gonna I'm gonna need to have them there. If the bucks are there, I'm, I'm going to know they're there. Um, especially on the old salt spots, the bucks kind of tend to not show up as much um, going through those areas. Um, so I'll, I'll just end up, I'll pull those cameras completely because I, I don't see myself going back to those spots um, between now and, say, before January. In other words... You're, you use them just as scouting. You want to yeah. pull them because if there's a buck that's hit there several times, you know that you can go there with your glass and you can probably find that buck or at least. And and two, you don't want to have to hike back in there to get it. Yeah. And then three, you probably don't want anybody to find the camera, pull the card, and have all your data. So you, you in essence, get what you need and then you pull it so it's um, a little more... Um, what would be the word? It, it would be, you know, if someone couldn't find it. Exactly, all all those aspects is pretty much okay. what goes into my decision. With um, mainly focusing on you know efficiency because I don't have a whole lot of time. I just try to I try to pick and choose where my time goes. And at that point, when I check them before the right points, I already know. I I see what the bucks have finished out as, and I see if they're still in the same area. So I already kind of know where they are so any other pictures beyond that are just kind of extra pictures for me it, w right. it would be nice to know hey that buck was in that area this many more times after i pulled it but it ultimately i i, I think the cameras can be misleading in a way too um they're they're a tool to let you know the bucks are there but sometimes when you see pictures of them you kind of get this false perception that they're there a lot or they're in that particular area, and when you go out to glass and you don't see them, you start to wonder why. Um, I found a lot of those bucks, they'll travel to old salt spots or water, but they're not really necessarily there. They're there somewhere, but they're not, and they might not be in that exact spot where your camera is all the time. In other words, you've let them run for three months, and while you scroll through and you see them on there eight different times, that's not very many times in a span of, you know, 90 days or 120 days Yeah. where it feels like, oh, yeah, he's here, he's here. But when you start looking, well, yeah, it's like, you know, every three weeks he just wanders by. One question I would have is um, at what point in time are the bucks really on the old salt sites? And at what point in time do they start to really fade off of the salt sites? So I've noticed, um, that's kind of weird. I, every year I'm guilty of this. I'll, I'll be looking at the old salt sites and stuff, um, around like June, July. And I'm not seeing particular bucks I'm looking for that have 
pretty defining characteristics like certain ear tears that I know were were big bucks the year before. I don't see them, so I think, you know, what what happened to them? But they, for whatever reason, I've noticed some of those old bucks just don't show up until, until like, it seems like it's either at the, at the earliest, the end of July, or um, into August, and then down in September. There's one buck that I had gotten that rifle tag for, and I had been looking for him and couldn't find him all of July. And... So I decided, you know, that buck, he's lion poop probably. Um, and so I kind of put him off, and I went and I shot that buck. And I, when I was rounding up cameras, um, he ended up showing back up in the beginning of August. So had I, had I gone and checked one more time, I would have known about him, probably would have held off. Um, but some bucks are just weird. They just, they, it seems like some of the bigger bucks tend to, to not show up till later, and then they'll they'll stay on the salt till about beginning of September. Um, sometimes they'll show up off and on through in October, but after that it kind of fades off. And and also another point is I've it even might be I know we're talking about how bucks will sort of wander into old salt spots and water. Um, I've actually watched this year a particular buck. Every time I would go in there, I'd glass him up within, he would walk by my camera within 20 yards, but just not in the sensor's path to where he could get a picture, um, or a picture would be taken of him. And every day I saw this buck do this, but when I went to go check the card, I only had two times he was on, on this camera. And th there were times separate from when I was glassing him up. So sometimes the bucks could be right there, they just, for whatever reason, just evade your camera. Yeah, I mean, I think that cameras are a great tool, but like you said before, sometimes they can deceive you, and sometimes oh, they yeah. can almost work against you because you're like, hey, that buck's not on here. And like you said, you just saw him right by the camera, but it didn't actually take his picture. And I think, I think a lot of people, including myself, are guilty of, you know, oh, he's not on here anymore, and he's right there. He just didn't hit the camera, and doesn't that doesn't mean yeah. anything. Yeah. Do you feel like once they go hard antler, that they hit salt left in general? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I've seen that pattern um, every year, and it's. I think it's just they don't really need it as much. As and that kind of what one the, question I was going to ask you is like, do you find in in Talking about salt in particular, do you find when it's real rainy, do they hit salt, or when it's real oh, dry, yeah. do they hit salt? Yeah, when it rains, you, you can guarantee that every time it rains, the deer will show up. I don't. I've always. I know we talked about this in the past. I don't know if it's if it's because the water is getting the smell into the air, or if it's because it's easier for them to get at the salt um, in the ground because the ground's wet and and easy to to dig up. I, I'm not sure exactly what the, the rationale is there, why they why they tend to hit it more often in the when it's rainy. Okay. Um, I want to answer a bunch of these questions, but I also want to find out with all of your scheduling if you're going to be doing some rifle hunting. It sounds like with Tristan's girlfriend yep. you might be. Uh, but I want to take a quick second here and thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank 
GoHunt.com gear shop. My friend Cody Nelson, uh, who used to be with the Outdoorsman, is the optics manager now at GoHunt gear shop. And he handles everything from binoculars, spotting scopes, tripods, rifle scopes, and then any of the gear within the Go Hunt gear shop. He's been my friend for over 20 years. He's, I call him the glassing guru and the optics authority. Uh, if you have any questions at all, he's promised me that he's going to take care of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. If you're looking for any optics, any tripods, give Cody a call. You can reach him at 702-847-8747, extension 2. You can send him an email directly at optics at gohunt.com. Now, keep in mind, when you call the number, you're going to get Cody himself. When you email, you're going to get Cody himself. So he can give you, you know, quotes on different optics over the phone. He can chat with you about, you know, different types of optics for certain situations. He can go over all the tripods. Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge. Give Cody a call if you have any optical needs at all. I want to thank Go Hunt Gear Shop for their sponsorship. Also, Kuyu, K-U-I-U.com, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, that is the gear, the backpacks, um, the clothing that I wear. I've been wearing it since 2010. Kuyu.com, to learn more about them, check their website out. Uh, CanyonCoolers.com, if you use the J. Scott promo code, uh, you're going to get a 10% discount on all Canyon Coolers products. And then phonescope.com, if you use the JSCOT18 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount at phonescope.com. Uh, Eric, uh, you've got busy schedule. Uh, you don't have a rifle tag because you filled your August tag. Um, what are your rifle plans with either, A, the October hunts or some of the November, early December, and then moving on into the uh, late December? you know, the, the rifle December hunt. Uh, do you have any plans to be out in the field? So the, this first hunt that I believe is this weekend, um, I won't be helping anybody on that hunt, um, but the the second hunt I'll be helping a friend of mine on that hunt, and i um, pretty excited for that. And then the third hunt I'll be helping Savannah. But December, assuming um, Savannah kills on her hunt december will just be pretty much javelina hunting for me in the metro unit possibly okay and you really like that javelina i mean i've i've followed yeah. that stuff on instagram you really like that hunt yeah i'm not a that i like killing two pigs a year because i like the extra meat um but i'm not a fan of that january hunt because i don't when i'm hunting gear i don't want to get distracted with pigs um, even if, you know, even if I'm, I'm getting it and, uh, just hunting deer and I stumble across a pig, if I shoot a pig, then there goes about half of my day getting the pig out of there and the meat out of there. So I try to, I try to just do that December hunt. Um, that's over the counter. It's pretty, it's pretty simple. Gotcha. Um, let's dive into some of these questions. Um, there's a bunch of them. I don't know that we'll get to all of them, but, um, let's just dive through. Um, some of them, the answers might be uh, fairly short. Um, some of them might be longer than others. Uh, okay, we've got a question here. 
from a Jesse underscore Parks on Instagram. On average, how far do you normally walk in before you start laughing? So I'm going to assume, since he doesn't mention archery hunting, I'm going to assume that he's talking about coups. I'm, I'm assuming that he's talking about, you know, rifle hunting coups. Eric, what would be your answer to, on, on average, how far do you walk before you start laughing? I actually get that question a lot. Um, if it's if it's my own hunt and I'm not helping someone that um, can't hike as far, my typical hunt I'm I would say an average of of two miles for my spots. But okay, again, so that depends me, on on the area. Yeah. Let me let me back up and ask you just a follow up question. So. For the listeners out there, what you're saying is, on average, the spots that you like to hunt from your vehicle that you're going to walk roughly two miles and then start flapping. So I would assume that that walk is with the headlamp and, you know, you've got your route kind of predetermined and then you're walking yeah. about two miles and then you start glassing and spend the day glassing. Yep. Yep. Okay. I'll, I, try to, I try to focus on areas that... Um, that I uh, I dread to go hike. <laughs> if I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of like if I'm if I'm producing some excuses not to go, that's the area I kind of want to go because I know that kind of gets me away from the crowd. Yeah, and I would answer, you know, if and I always tell people if you can walk at least a mile, if you can get a mile away from the nearest road, um, that that gives you a chance of getting into that better, you know, better age class, better quality buck usually. It's not a guarantee. Um, and sometimes in Arizona, it's, find a hard, it's hard to find a place that you, you know, walk a mile and you don't hit some other road or four-wheeler trail or something. Yeah. But in general, if people, it's so easy to just get to a high spot in the road and just glass and think, you know, oh, I'm really pounding it. But that usually gets hammered, and in southern Arizona, even central Arizona, you know, the bucks by the road get shot. So if you can get in there a little bit further, so that's that's cool to hear that you go, um, you know, two hundred two miles or so. Uh, a question from Jeremy Zelko: Can you find hundred inch plus inch coos? Um, let's see. By getting up high and looking, or do you have to? I'm sorry, this question uh, cut out here. Uh, can you find 100-inch plus coups by getting up high and glassing, looking far? And I think this question is, or do you have to get close to them? Eric, what's your answer to that? That kind of ties into something I was going to hit hit on in that uh, previous question too. Um, sometimes I've, I've noticed it's not even necessarily hiking as far to get away from people. It's hiking up to the vantage points that people don't really want to go to. And oftentimes if you hike up to that, that hard vantage point to get to, you get a completely different angle um, of glassing than most people that they're not going to have. And that could be the difference of finding a 100-inch buck or not finding a 100-inch buck. Um, I think yeah, you bring it, up a huge point there about angles, and that's something we don't talk about very much. Yeah. But would you agree that sometimes the angle is everything? In other words, it like is. what you said, yeah. you're going to a spot that may be just hellacious to get to. It may not be necessarily two or three miles in. It may only be a half mile or a mile in, but nobody wants to go there. But if you can get there, 
you actually can get up and get an angle that no one else can see. And I, I think that's a huge, huge tip right there for people. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially if it's a thick area, um, angles everything. Um, I, there's been times where I, I, I know a box in a certain area and I blasting it from one angle, I don't see anything, and you hike to another angle and then it's like the buck's right in the open. Um, yeah, Arizona is just, it's its like that, and the coos deer hide so well in this thick stuff, and especially you get boulders and stuff. You have to be at the right angle just to see a buck sometimes. For sure. Would you, without skewing your opinion, I have an opinion that if you can, typically the higher you can get, the better you can, the better you can see, and the more that you can look down on a deer, the better opportunity you have to find it. In other words, if I was looking for a particular deer, obviously you want to be fairly close as well. You don't want to be so far away that you can't make anything out. But um, so distance plays into it. But if you can get high and look down, just like what you said, if you change the angle, he's out in the open, whereas when you're kind of lower, there's a lot of brush, and those openings are not as big. It seems like when you get real high, you can actually, those areas open up quite a bit, even areas that look thick, you know, when you're looking horizontally, when you're looking down, all of a sudden that changes that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm always a proponent of getting as high as, trying to find a vantage point, an area that will get you as high as you can with as many views as you can. I have noticed, though, um, I mean, the caveat to that is that if you're on a really steep point um, or ridge, like, you can't, you can glass down low and see the stuff lower, but oftentimes the hillside that you're sitting on, you cannot see below you. And I found some of the bucks actually, you know, they, I've gotten screwed in the past um, when I was hunting with uh, Justin Birch and we were looking for a particular buck and we were up as high as we could go and looking down and the buck we were after was about 100 yards straight below us so we could On the same never hill. see him because, yeah, because yeah. you just can't see down. So, I mean, if you, if you have a buddy, that's the best thing because you could have, you could position someone lower down looking at the ridge faces. And you could be up high looking down at all the draws and in all the cuts. Yeah. And that's mainly where that, being up high helps. I think that you bring up a good point, too, and I've talked about it before on the podcast, but if you have a buddy cross-glassing, in other words, yeah. you or your buddy go to the high knob peak and have the other buddy get across and basically be looking into below where you're at and cross-glassing, or... If you've got a big canyon, you're on one ridge line, your buddy's on the other, and you're basically paralleling with each other, looking, yep. basically you're, you're sitting with your tripod facing, your binoculars are looking in the direction of your buddy, but you're looking at different angles and you're cross-glassing. And that, that is a huge um, tip, I think, out there for people that, you know, if you're hunting with a buddy, definitely try cross-glassing. Um, not to be confused with cross-dressing, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, that, that's a great way to find buff. We've got another question here from Mark, uh, period 27 on Instagram, and he wants to know how big your 2017 archery buff was. Um, and, and for that matter, 
how big was the 2017 archery buck, and how big do you think the velvet buck was in August? Um, yeah, I got a lot of people asking me that. Um, I uh, I actually I never put a tape on them. Um, Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I don't know. I I um I I I get score like especially with guiding. It's very it's very important to know score and to score bucks to build up your your knowledge and your ability to estimate deer. Um, and it's nice to to communicate. Oh, hey, that buck is like a hundred and ten inch class. He's about this much, right. just to know what he, what he is. But as far as when I kill a buck, um, and and I have him on the ground, I I don't want to score him just for the simple fact that I don't want that. I mean, it sounds kind of I don't know hippie dippy to me, to skew, but I, you don't want it to skew yeah. your 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 the elation you had of shooting the buck, right? Yeah, I don't want it to re-identify him in a right. way because right. I like that you put a yeah you put a number on a buck and then he you know someone else shoots a buck that's a little bit higher number then he's seen kind of less than that buck to a lot of people and it, I just I think um the buck is he is what he is he's 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 an old buck he's big and that's all that matters to me I don't want to no, I don't want to put a I number like on his head I, you know I'm a huge proponent of field judging and you know, scoring and putting tape on things and, you know, knowing what things score. But so it seems the older I get, the more it's, it, it doesn't really matter because the buck is, you yeah. know, the buck's dead. And so if he's bigger than what you think, are you going to be more excited? If he's smaller than what you think, are you going to be less excited? And so yeah. I, I love that answer. Yeah, that's... I, I love that answer for sure. Um, a question from AZ J. Cole open desert what's your opinion on big coos differing their patterns from smaller deer so in other words i think he's asking specifically big coos bucks compared to small coos bucks what are some things that you've noticed in their in their their differing pattern um i've noticed uh, you know the vast majority of those older bucks tend to almost be more sedentary in a way like they don't move a whole lot either they don't move a whole lot or they move too much to where it's hard to find them um, it's kind of funny how they big bucks they either tighten their circle or they just go yeah. crazy and you see them all over um it, yeah it's really one or the other wouldn't you agree i mean it's either they're real tight circle or they they travel yep yep it's funny because there's two five by threes that i'm interested in for savannah's hunt um and one of them he has such a wide range that it's to the point where he's showing up on each end of the mountain range um whenever i go look for him and then the other buck is so tight that you know like there's this one certain canyon you could always go find him in um it's kind of weird i don't i i wonder if that's just if if that's a behavior they have because they they are like that, they've survived that long. Um, yeah, you know, I think they're all yeah. different. And, but I would say in general, I'm curious your opinion on this, in general, it seems like the older a deer gets, the more they tighten their pattern. And I would say the drifter buck or the traveler buck is a little less common than 
uh, I would say more common would be that they would tighten their pattern and they don't move as much. I'm curious your thoughts yeah. on that. Yeah, I think it just comes down to them not really moving as much. They're not out in the open lollygagging for you to really see them. They're, they're just harder to find in general. I just, they just don't... I mean, I've watched some some more mature bucks, not ne- not necessarily like the, the biggest bucks on the mountain, but the more mature ones have been around the mountains for a long time. They kind of just they don't they'll get up and feed and bed, and they'll get up and feed and bed, but they're not really covering a whole lot of ground, not really going across hillsides. They're kind of just laying low in a way. Yeah. Here's a question from Marcus Twelve Munoz. And I'll answer first. <laughs> um, <laughs> big deer, 34A, question mark, question mark. And my answer would be, Marcus, yes, there's big deer. There are big deer in every unit in southern Arizona. Oh, Don't yeah. ever let anybody tell you anything different. Um, 34A, obviously the Santa Rita's, you know, you've got everything from desert floor all the way up to the, the highest pines, you know, some of the highest elevation in southern Arizona. Um, so absolutely there are big deer in 34A. One thing I would say with a lot of these units in southern Arizona, 34A is one of the most popular units in southern Arizona, I think because of its proximity to Tucson. But the other thing I think is because of its vast variety of terrain and because it's one of the prettiest units um, down there, it does get a lot of pressure. So if you are looking for a big deer in 34A, my recommendation would be to be out on the desert floor where the density is very low or potentially be up high, um, you know, way high where they're hard to find in the thick stuff, and that's probably where you're going to find your biggest deer. In 34A, all of the middle stuff gets hit so hard I, I doubt there's as, as many big deer in the middle parts of 34A, and I think you can take that for every unit in southern Arizona. Yep. Eric, what, what's your thoughts? I agree 100% with you. Um, I mean, every year big bucks come out of every unit. They're, they're there. Um, you just need to find them. And just like you said, those middle-range spots that have easy access to um, with roads and stuff, you're not really going to find that many big deer along those areas. Uh, question from Dudley underscore AZ. Um, are most of Eric's hunting skills self-taught or learned through his father and their crew? That's a good question. Um, a lot of my recent hunting skills have been self-taught. I, uh, I grew up um, learning from my dad, from Cole, from Ron Grimes, um, and uh, some other guys that you know aren't, aren't as well known because they're not on social media much, but they're they're straight up killers with a bow. And I've had yeah. the uh, I've been fortunate enough to to learn from those guys, and I've taken what I've taken kind of bits and pieces that they do that work for me, and then built a, uh, on top of that for my own kind of style. Um, I mean, everybody's different. Certain things that I do are not going to work for. For someone else, um, it's just fine and kind of the hunting skills that work best for you. And that's Good all answer. through trial and error. <laughs> Let me, and for those out there um, wondering, 
You've spooked your fair share of deer over the years, haven't you, bud? Oh, yep. Yep. <laughs> Me and you both. I mean, I've done some of the craziest, dumbest things you've ever seen in your life, and, you know, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And I think, like you said, trial and error. I mean, you, you learn as much as you can, but then it comes down to kind of having your own style and, and uh, figuring things out, and a lot of it comes from screwing up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not the uh, nowhere near a what you would call a great hunter. <laughs> I just... I, I focus on working as hard as I can and um, and putting myself in situations where I get as many opportunities as I can. I like it. Uh, Game Chasers 3 says, anything and everything about 100-inch bucks, where they like to stay, pattern, stories, etc. So that brings hmm. up a good question because 100-inch, for coaster hunters, 100-inch is like you know, quote-unquote, the holy grail. 100-inch buck yeah. plus, that's what everybody's after. Um, yep. What are some things that you would say if people, you know, maybe people listening have not harvested their first 100-inch buck, what advice would you give them as far as, you know, what are they missing? What are some ingredients you think that, you know, without knowing specific cases, to kill 100-inch bucks, what are they missing? That's a good point. Um, I think it comes down to really time in the field. Um, maybe trying to put myself in their shoes. Maybe finding someone to to have as a mentor that that um, that is successful at finding those types of bucks. Um, that kind of shortens the the learning curve down a little bit to, to where you know, hey, I need to go like hike over into this bowl that doesn't get that much action. Um, and then my, my odds of finding a, a deer that's 100 plus um, is a lot better. Or finding, just expanding your range and looking at different different deer, seeing areas that have seem to have good genetics and then knowing, hey, maybe I'll get away from the roads here and um, start looking in there and I might find 100 inch. You can find, like we talked about earlier, you can find a 100-inch buck pretty much in any unit. It's just um, it comes down to, to putting in the legwork and getting behind the glass and looking at a lot of areas. They're there. Um, it's just the process of elimination of areas, really. Um, and don't you think, too, um, it comes down to time? Like, you can't. Yeah, you can't expect. I, I get questions on my Instagram a lot. You know, guys saying, you know, um, I drew this tag, and you know, I really want to kill a hundred inch plus buck. And okay, and do you have any tips? And I said, well, um, how much have you scouted? Well, I I, I won't get a chance to scout because my work schedule. Like I get it totally, a hundred percent. Yeah, understand yeah, I do People too. are busy, but like hundred inch bucks are not easy. Like you, you know, you you have to that's the upper echelon of bucks, and I would say time behind the glass and the amount of scouting, you know, are you out there when they're in velvet? Are you out there, you know, after the rut or, or peak rut, you know, trying to find some of those bucks and then retrace their steps backwards, you know, finding them where they're running and they're out exposed in January running around, and then say, okay, I found a good buck or two. Now I'm going to try and figure out are they there is that where they always live? Do they come there to rut? And then maybe backtracking that buck. Um, but, you know, guys that consistent, 
consistently like yourself that shoot big big deer they're out there all the time and um i'm sure you're finding with your schedule this year being a little bit more smashed up it's it's probably going to be crazy because you're used to spending so much time out there glassing yeah. out there kicking around um but that's something that i would say is get away from the roads you know sleep out sleep out on the ground you know use your backpack and and get away from the roads number one number two is spend a lot of time and and wouldn't you say that the velvet time is also a huge you know guys that shoot big bucks consistently seem like they spend a lot of time when the deer in velvet and really figure them out oh, for sure in velvet for sure for sure and uh i get the time constraints and stuff it I mean, there's times where Tristan and I have gotten up at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. to to get out um, to either check cameras or to to make sure we're in a spot early enough to glass first light. Um, you kind of have to work around your schedule a bit if you if you really want to find a buck of that caliber. And I, I agree pretty much with everything you've said so far. Yeah. Uh, two specific stalking techniques that are unique to the species that comes from n period crafts craftsman llc two specific stocking techniques that are unique to the species um mm. how would you answer that i'm not hmm. i'm not entirely sure if there is there's any uh, specific like species specific techniques um because you know mule deer you're going to stock about the same as a coos deer depending on the terrain you're stocking them in um i found a lot of some of the higher country stocking coos deers pretty similar to like high country mule deer stocking in some areas uh, we're using boulders and and slopes as your advantage to get in close what what do you think jay yeah i mean I think something that's kind of unique to coos is they tend to bed up and hold hold like quail. So I yeah. think if you're t if you're talking about either archery or rifle, um, and that's where if you have a spotter that can either a radio you or b hand signal or you know have some sort of signaling system, if you can even with a rifle, if you can bed a deer down, have someone stay on that deer or stay on the bush that the deer's on, in other words, so they don't take their eye off, which we've talked about before. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the, the hunter is able to stalk into, you know, even with the rifle, if you're able to, st sometimes stalking the 300 yards is difficult on these deer. So um, specific techniques are know that those deer are going to hold up like quails, and I've seen it so many times where people get impatient and instead of getting with a rifle, you know, 250, 300, 350 yards away and getting in a rock pile and going, okay, I'm in a sniper position. I'm now going to sit here and wait until that deer gets up. They get impatient, and they go walking saying, oh, that deer's gone, and they get 10 yeah. yards from the bush where their buddy said the deer is, and all of a sudden the deer jumps up. Yep. So, you know... <laughs> I, I think that is kind of specific to coos. They will let you walk a lot of times. Sometimes they'll, you know, you top over a ridge at a mile and they'll take off running. Sometimes they will let you yeah. get to 10 yards and they will hold, even big bucks will hold, 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 and all of a sudden they'll just blow out. So I think that's 
you know, something specific to, to stocking uh, for sure. Um, let's go to John Period Milburn 237, best way to hunt pressured units in Arizona. That kind of ties back to what we were just talking about um, a couple questions ago about trying to find the areas that um, that aren't pressured as much. Like 33 is a notorious unit for getting an insane amount of pressure on these rifle hunts. Um, and it seemed like over the years, people knowing that they need to get out farther has kind of made the unit almost to where those areas that are harder to get to are seeming to get more pressure too. Um, it, even in that case, you just got to try to find some of the spots that people don't really necessarily think about hunting. I think is what it comes down to when, when you have a unit that's, that's got tons of pressure, even on the spots that are hard to get to. Um, and those could be like the spots that you notice everybody drive right past to go hunt their favorite stomping grounds. Um, I, I found, I think Dwayne Adam talks about this too. Like those, those highway spots that everybody's driving right past. Um, I found some of the biggest bucks I've ever found in spots like that. Um, but yeah. people don't. And it's not really a secret because, I mean, I'm guilty of it all the time too, even though I know that that those places are worth looking at. For sure. I think too when you start talking about pressured areas, I think you have to be disciplined as far as you have to be out there with the headlamp before light. Don't be the guy yep. that leaves camp in the gray light and finally gets to his glassing knob and out. Like, you know, you have to be diligent. You have to walk out with a flashlight. Like, don't, oh, well, I don't see anything. Usually that last 30 minutes of glassing is when the biggest bucks or when the bucks in general st stand up and a lot of people are already hiking back to camp. So, and then midday glassing. I think even in heavily pressured oh, yeah. units, deer that, you know, know that there's a lot of pressure around, a lot of times, you know, 11, 12 o'clock when that shade changes, you know, they will get up and feed and move around. You know, you know how it is, Eric, when, you know, you, you, you're sitting there glassing, you see a buck, he's feeding, all of a sudden you look away for a second, you look back in your binos, and he's gone. You're like, he's gone. Yep. The deer's gone. He, he left. He must have ran off. And then you sit there and look and look and look and look, and 30 minutes later you see a little ear flick or you see his head just twitch, and he just all he did is just lay down, and they're notorious for disappearing. So, oh, yeah. you know, I, I would be diligent, more diligent in my glassing uh, in, in pressured units, um, that would be a tip that, that, that I would give. Yeah. Um, and, um, can I, can I add something real quick on that? Yeah, for sure. So to answer this question better too, I've noticed I've hunted, um, a while back I had a rifle hunt in 34A and there was guys crawling around everywhere, but we had, we had known a certain buck was in the area and still went there anyways. And just like you said about, 10 a.m., um, most of the guys were already out of the field and gone back to their camps or back to town or whatever. Um, so you, it's almost like you, one of my tips could be not to get too, not to shy away from pressured areas as much. Um, if you, if you, you have a, 
a, a firm confidence in that you know what you're doing, especially if you're glassing up guys that uh, have are just glassing freehanded with binos. You can kind of count those guys out as being competition for whatever buck you're whatever buck you're in there for or whatever buck you're trying to find. Um, just because an area's got a whole lot of pressure, like there's like a lot of foot traffic going around, doesn't necessarily mean you can't still be successful in those types of units. Great. Yeah, great answer there. Uh, Trace, uh, Trace Topper, it looks like, 777. How do you go about finding a target buck and then keeping tabs on him until the hunt? That's, that's the... That's the million-dollar question right there. So how you know how do you locate a buck you want to shoot, and then how do you keep tabs on them? What do you do? So I, you could locate them through trail camera or glassing, or just randomly stumbling upon them, um, and then keeping tabs on them. I use the trail cameras uh, as a tool, like we talked about before, but it mainly comes down to to glassing and being disciplined glassing, getting out there and trying to lay actual eyes on where he is and what he's doing at the time. Um, and if it, it's kind of hard because you have to have the time to do that. Um, especially with these older bucks, you need to, to really try to be there, like you said, during the midday glassing too, if you don't see him in the morning, um, glassing throughout the whole day trying to keep tabs on him. I don't know if that answers. Yeah, I think it's great. Henry Design Build says, do you prefer hunting the higher elevations or lower elevations for twos? Hmm. Um, the typical answer is to either go extremely low or extremely high, but I feel like if you find an area that's mid-range that a lot of people don't go to, that's also a really good place to look. Um, I found monster bucks in the in the flats. I found them mid range. I found them up high. They can be pretty much anywhere. I'm sure you you see that too. Um, in all your hunting here and in New Mexico. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I think I think you have to look at your own skill set too, and be yep. you know, am yep. I the type of guy that's going to be able to go for five days and not even see a deer, but maybe on that sixth day or maybe on that 14th day all of a sudden the big deer steps out like you have to be yeah. self-aware enough to know that hey that's i want to go see deer and this is my one week hunt of the year and i want it to be fun because a lot of times eric i don't you know you can weigh in on this trying to kill big deer is you know it, it, it takes the right person it you know like it's not fun a lot of the time when you get done with it, you go, okay, yeah, that was awesome. But during it, yeah. the grind, it's like that was not fun. I sat for, you know, seven days and saw three does and a spike. Yeah. Like, but, yeah. you know, you know a big deer is there. You just have to stay the course. Um, thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, and that, in time back to his question, it seems like those higher elevation areas, there's uh, a general lower density of deer. Um, mid elevation, there seems to be a higher, and then low elevation, there could be you know either or. Um, and those spots where there's low density, a lot of people aren't going to be hunting because it is the 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 lack of opportunity is kind of apparent. Um, but those same spots kind of tend to hold the biggest deer, um, and it just 
it does it does suck you gotta I think the main theme here is just being disciplined and and sticking it out it sucks waiting that long for the right opportunity on a big deer and then not knowing if you're going to get that opportunity um a lot of mental games going <laughs> into shooting yeah. big deer oh yeah for sure uh, Henry Design Build asked a question also. Uh, question for Jay and Eric. What are your three favorite units to hunt coos and why? Um, I would answer, I don't know if I'll give a three, but uh, I really like 36C because I love glassing Ocotillo. I love glassing Mesquite. Yep. I love glassing kind of that deserty country for coos. I also enjoy it in Mexico. I love some of the ranches that are more deserty. Um, the one downside to 36C is, and I haven't been there in years, but, um, you know, a lot of the um, illegal traffic and what have you. Um, yeah. I, I really like Unit 23 in Central Arizona because it has a wide variety of terrain. Um, those Central Arizona units have a little bit more of that manzanita and more of that kind of buck brush and just some of that, um, you know, kind of that mahogany and, stuff that maybe you, you don't see like the rolling oaks and stuff like you do in southern Arizona but um, and, and probably because I've, I've spent quite a bit of time hunting in, in both 22 and 23 um, but you know I go back to you know 31 the Grams you know the Santa Teresa's in unit 31 I, I go back to the Galeros and in, in unit 32 um, you know some of the historical mountain ranges in southern Arizona I just love um, you know I've never hunted 33 for twos um, at all I know Eric you live right down there so I'm sure you've hunted 33 quite a bit um, yep. I don't know that I have one particular uh, unit that I like better than others yeah and, and yeah. quite honestly you know in the last 20 years a lot of my experience has been hunting um, Mexico, uh, coos here in Mexico. So, you know, guys like Eric and other guys are much better, you know, to answer this question. But what are some of your favorite units and why? I'm I'm right there with you. I I don't know, know if I can necessarily pick any favorites because they all, each unit has their pros and cons that they're all kind of about the same to me. Um, I do like, the numbers and the 36s and the, the terrain in there, like the Ocotillos, like you said, 34A has a lot of that same stuff. 33 has a lot of that same stuff and, and has kind of like that Rocky Mountain stuff that I really like to um, to play around with, kind of like the, like what's in the Tortolitas too. All that stuff is just, it's cool, to, it's cool to stock in that type of stuff. That's why I like it. But for most of these units in Arizona, they're so big, you kind of get you get pretty much similar terrain in each unit you go um, in certain spots. So, yeah, I love all the uh, I love the unit that has the biggest buck that I can find that year in. <laughs> Which on any given year it could be any different unit because you you hit something. exactly. There's a final question here. Um, there's some more, but we we'll just we run out of time. Uh, Special Agent Blue, what's the difference between North, Central, East, and Borderland coos? Um, the one thing I would say in the central units, like your 6A, your 21s, your 6Bs, uh, your 22, 23, 
it seems as though the density is a lot lower and it's a lot more poverty. Yep. Um, you go long periods of time and maybe don't see deer, and then all of a sudden you find a nice little group of deer. Seems like southern Arizona, around Tucson, you know, in the historic mountain ranges that you can pretty much find a coos deer at any elevation, you know, and they're not yep. quite as pockety. I, I, I know that each of the southern Arizona units have their areas of more dense and more, you know, pockets. I think that's just natural. Um, but, you know, and then you get down on the border, right, you know, literally right down on the border. Um, you know, with the, the thing that makes those deer unique, I think, is, you you know, when you're out hunting, you do get a lot of different traffic with people walking around. And, and, and I think it's gotten better over the last year or two, um, maybe better than it was, you know, four, five, six years ago. Um, I don't know that the deer particularly have any differences other than I would say some of the southern Arizona deer compared to the central Arizona deer seem to be smaller, more slender slender bodies. Seems like some of the central Arizona deer, they're just a little bit bigger body, and I don't quite know why. Maybe a little bit different vegetation and feed. Um, you got anything to add to that, Eric? Yeah, I've kind of I've noticed the same. Every now and again in the southern units, you'll have a buck with a huge body, um, but overall they send they tend to be not as stout as some of those bucks you see up in central or northern Arizona. Um, yeah, I agree too with the densities um, up north. It seems like you find you have to find little pockets of coos deer, um, but there are pretty big bucks up north. Um, in those pockets that you can find them. Um, I honestly, I haven't played around with those northern units a whole lot to really, to give the best answer, but I'm sure in the next couple of years I will, um, once I move to Phoenix. So It'll be fun I'm to up. kind of talk to you about some of your experiences over the next couple of years to see, Oh yeah, you know, being a southern Arizona boy and, 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 and seeing how, some of the differences are, and you'll be able to give a good contrast of, or a comparison of, you know, what you're finding different and what you're finding that's very similar. So that'll be a cool conversation to have. Um, buddy, sure. it's always great having you on. Um, I'm, I'm uh, always excited to, to, to pick your brain. You know, it's you, you just bleed uh, passion for Tuesday, and, and uh, I know the listeners love that. And I uh, want to congratulate you uh, on all the success you've had hunting, but also, um, you know, double major, you know, multiple jobs. I mean, it's awesome. You're you're a great you're a great dude, and you're working hard, and you're going to be rewarded for that. And um, look forward to um, seeing your success over the next couple of years. And um, yeah, just keep plowing away. It's, it's awesome to see a guy that's so vested in his hunting, but also is got his, you know, got his life headed in the right direction and working hard, and, um, you know, I appreciate that. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate all the kind words. It means a lot. Sounds good, buddy. Now, I will tell you that uh, come here uh, about three weeks or so, um, my Sun Devils are going to stomp your wildcat into the ground. Ah, uh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about uh, that. I had a I had a U of A uh, listener send me a message on my Instagram, and he 
he's like, I've got a ticket for you. Come down for the big game. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the last thing I want to do is be in Tucson and get trampled by some Wildcat fans. When, oh, yeah. When, uh, yeah, it's always a fun time. I love I love the rivalry. Um, like I said before, I, I talk a big, tough game. But uh, really, I'm proud of Arizona. I'm proud of any Arizona schools. When when U of A is not playing ASU, I, I cheer for them. So I always pull for our state. But uh, definitely on that day, I'll be pulling for the Sun Devils for sure. Yeah, my uh, I'm actually doing grad picks this weekend, and my girlfriend's coming down, and she's going to bring ASU attire for the pictures. Good. Um, Good. She thinks that'll be cute, but it'll be on U of A campus, so I'm not sure how that'll go. <laughs> she's pretty brave. You might, you might need to pack some heat, because you might, you might oh, get yeah. stomped in the ground for sure. All right, man. Oh, well, yeah. uh, thanks, thanks for sharing with us and uh, look forward to chatting with you again down the road, and um, God bless you, okay? For sure, you too. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's always an honor. All right, buddy. Take care.